welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. It is a joy to be with you. Uh, and just so uh, you don't mistake me as one of the leaders here at Garden, um, I didn't wear my skinny jeans or boots this morning. <laughs> They do make skinny jeans in my size. <clears throat> They're called stretchy pants or yoga pants. <laughs> and I didn't want to make anybody sick, so I didn't wear them, okay? <laughs> it's, a, it's such a treat to be with you guys. I've really been looking forward uh, to this trip. One of the things I'm so excited about is, is just seeing people that are just hungry uh, just to you know, see Jesus just expand in their community and see people really encounter Him. That's just such a, you know, just such a passion in, in my life. And so, um, anyway, that's what I, I love to see and do. But I, 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 let me just say really quick. I was I was my parents were missionaries in Japan. I was born in Japan. Japan is probably one of the hardest places uh, to do church planting or missions work. The the, the missionaries that were before my parents there. Uh, none of them had lasted a year. Uh, there are three different couples that had been sent there by the denomination they were a part of, and only um, the first ones only lasted three months. The next uh, lasted nine months, and then the couple after that lasted two months before they all came back. And uh, my parents uh, went there. They were there for their first stint for four years. I was born there at that time. They wanted to go back. Uh, but the denomination wanted to send them elsewhere, and so uh, they were never able to go back, which really grieved them. But anyway, so I, I grew up in church my whole life. All, all that to say that I grew up in church my whole life. My parents were both really great preachers and teachers and uh, just loved people, loved evangelism, so I was sort of inundated in that. But we never saw a lot of healing. We never saw a lot of like supernatural stuff, like stuff in Acts and Luke and things like that. We didn't see a lot of that kind of stuff happen. I always wonder, where is that? What's going on? We had, we had a, a theology for it. We had an understanding of it. We just didn't see a lot of or experience a lot of it. So it's been a big part of my passion as I began to get influenced by people like John Wimber and uh, just many, many others to, to stop and go, man, you know, we want to see that in the church. We want to see people, and so the reason, that's sort of explained the title of the book, Do What Jesus Did, and uh, what I see in that, it's sort of the premise of the book is explaining, because I want you to understand that as a theme and what we're going to talk about, is everything Jesus did, he came to show us not just what he could do as the son of God, he came to show us what we could do. And so the scripture says he left in Philippians chapter 2, Basically, he left his sort of superhero God powers in heaven. He came as a normal human being, and the power source that he was operating out of was, a po- was the Holy Spirit's power, the same Holy Spirit that is available to you and I. How many of you know there's no Happy Meal-sized Holy Spirit? <laughs> there's only super size. There's <laughs> only one Holy Spirit, and it's super size. Turn with me, if you would. Guys, at the back there at the video stuff, I'm sorry. I, I'm changing everything. So everything I gave you before, just <laughs> shut it down. We're not using it. I'm sorry. I, I, I feel bad. Uh, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. 
Now, let me tell you guys something. Uh, to sort of set the stage for this, I gotta make sure I watch my time. Uh, to set the stage for this, uh, if any of you grow up in Sunday school, catechism classes, anything like that? Any of you grow up in that? Now see, here's the deal. You and I have grown up hearing the stories in the Bible over and over, so we sort of anticipate what's gonna happen next because we know what's gonna happen next. Uh, did any of you grow up in, in Sunday school or catechism classes where they used flannel graph? You remember the flannel? You remember, you know, some of you are too young. You, your grandparents told you about flannel graph. You never saw flannel graph. Come on, you know that. No, but they put up these cartoon characters telling the stories and they would stick them on this flannel and it would stick to the, and they would tell the stories based on that. Well, here's the deal. You and I have seen the flannel, you know what the new flannel graph is? Veggie tales. VeggieTales has totally replaced flannel graph. So here's the thing. We've heard the stories in the Bible over and over and over again. So we anticipate what's going to happen next because we know what's going to happen next. We heard it. These guys who are living this, Jesus is telling them to do stuff. God tells them to do stuff and they don't know what's going to happen next. Sometimes God doesn't tell them the whole story. Now we're always like, well, Lord, I'll go pray for my neighbor if you tell me to. And if you promise me, you'll heal them. Right? Right? Well, these guys are getting, you know, hey, go pray for you. And sometimes they don't know if it's going to happen or not. They're just doing it because God said, do it. Doesn't make sense sometimes. And, and anybody who's followed God knows that God doesn't make sense. You know, and you, part of the reason why is God is just smarter than we are. And that's kind of a big newsflash to us because we like to give him advice on a regular basis. But however, he's smarter than we are. So here's the deal is that we, we sort of anticipate, some of these guys, again, they don't know. We, we're not even sure when Jesus came, if he knew what was gonna happen next. Why? Because the Bible says he came as a normal human being. He came as a normal human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't operating in his God rights or his God superhero powers. He was operating as a normal human being, okay? So we're not even sure that he knew exactly what was gonna happen next unless the Father revealed it to him, the Spirit, Holy Spirit revealed it to him. So here's the deal. So I want us to take a look at, at this passage and I want you to give me a little bit of grace. Now, you've got a really smart pastor and he's really sharp and he's really, I mean, and, and he wears skinny jeans and I can't do that. But anyway, uh, which by the way, is this being recorded? It's audio and video. Oh Lord, okay. <laughs> There's evidence now. Now I have a word for you guys, okay? And, and this is, this, and I'm really serious about this. I, I just, when as we were in worship, I just heard the Lord say, it's short, but, uh, but I think you'll know what it means if you don't, <laughs> I'll, I'll break it down. But I just heard the Lord say, put your hands up, you're about to go on the ride of your life. And it's good ride. It's a good ride. And you've been in the place of like the roller coaster climbing up the hill and it's been the shaking and the waiting and the anticipation. But I hear the Lord say, you're, about, you're just about to top that, that curve and you're about to go on the ride of your life, okay? Brace for impact. It won't do any good to brace, but brace for impact anyway. <laughs> okay, it's gonna be good. All right, so here's the deal. Elijah is running for his life. Uh, the queen hates him. She wants to kill him. Her name is Jezebel. She's married to this weak, wimpy king named Ahab, and, and she just like pushes him around and manipulates him and stuff like that. And so she hates him. She's worshiping this God called Baal, and she hates Elijah. So Elijah's running for his life. He's scared. He's frightened. He's, he's, he's weary. He's just tired, you know? And so one day the Lord speaks to Elijah, and God recognizes, Elijah, you need to chill. You know, you're just, you're just in this place of stress and all this stuff. And I say that about Darren because, listen, you're used to, like, really good quality exegeting of Scripture. 
my exegesis, my, my breaking down and sort of providing content may be a little bit different and less polished of what you So just sort of bring that bar down. <laughs> okay? You guys have had people like Bob Fulton and, and Don Williams influence you. Okay, just bring that bar down. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so, anyway... So it says in verse 17 of 1 Kings, this is where we're at, verse 17, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, and I'm reading from the NLT, uh, New Living Translation, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat whatever the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. Now let's stop right there. Let's think about this a minute. Now see, you have to understand, again, we grew up seeing the flannel graph version of this, and so it's sort of distorted our view of it. And I mean, let me explain how flannel graph can distort your view. My parents pastored in the hood, so we, didn't, we couldn't afford brand new flannel graphs. We had hand-me-down flannel graph from First Baptist Church. So ours was a little tattered, a little torn. So I grew up thinking Peter was an amputee. Somebody had ripped off Peter's leg on our flannel graph. I thought he was an amputee, okay? So we've sort of been, so all of a sudden, let's put this in today's context. God speaks to you and says, hey, there's a ravine down here and I want you to go and just camp out there. Now this is not glamping. Uh, by the way, I've got a question. Am I a glamper if I sleep on an air mattress? Yeah, okay, I thought so. Anyway, so here, here, here God speaks to him and says, I want you to go hide by Kareth Brook. I want you to go down by this ravine and I want you to camp there. Now, how many of you, if you got that word, you'd be like, cool. Nobody. Okay, one. <laughs> the rest of you are like, yeah, camping by a ravine just does not sound cool to me, right? And he says, you drink from the brook, you're drinking from this brook, now, and some of you are like, you know, you're like, okay, that's pretty cool. The guys especially, you're like, yeah, yeah, I like that. I wish God would speak that to me. And then all of a sudden, he says, and bring, eat whatever the ravens bring you. Does that sound a little weird? What comes to mind when you hear this? Roadkill. Or wagon kill, whatever it was back then. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all the, bring, eat whatever. God is saying, I am sending you wild animals to bring you food. Now listen, when I was in Sunday school and I was in, our Sunday school teacher starts reading this story and I raised my hand and I said, I think it was roadkill. And I was always getting into trouble for stuff like this. And she's like, Robbie, stop it. It wasn't roadkill. Look at the flannel graph. Those are two little gluten-free crackers in that breast mouth. You know what the... You know, the scripture calls it unleavened bread, but we call it unglutened bread. She says, look what's in that mouth. It is not... You know, meat, there's no meat. It's not roadkill. Go sit in the corner. And I'm like in the corner going, I know it's roadkill. <laughs> and she goes, no, there's no meat in there. Oh, yeah? Let's read on. Okay? 
So Elijah did as the Lord told him. I'm going to bring wild. Is anybody, if you got that word, you're like, yeah, that's weird. I need a little bit more information than that. Come on. Let's be real. Come on. This is a weird word, man. And eat whatever wild beasts bring you to eat. Elijah does it. Why? God said. God said. God doesn't break it down. He doesn't, he doesn't give him a bigger explanation. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped by Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat. Right there, roadkill. I was right, Sunday school teacher, wrong. Each morning. Oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. So she brings him bread and meat. Elijah just eats it. And it says, every, every evening and every morning, and he drank from the brook. I mean, how many of you think, hey, this is a pretty good gig. You know, you don't have to go try to find food. You drink from the brook. You can bathe in the brook. It, you, well, for the guys, it's optional, but the ladies would probably bathe in the brook. The guy's not sure. But all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, this is a good gig. Let's just camp. Let's just hide out. Be with God. Chill with God. And just stay there. Don't leave. Don't leave this place. This is a good place to be, right? This is cool. But after a while, the brook dried up. The brook dried up, and there was no rainfall in the land. So after a while, all of a sudden, the ravens stopped bringing him bread and meat. You know? Now, I'm telling you, there's, there's so much miracle stuff right in this passage because have you ever tried to take food away from a wild animal? <laughs> I mean, my dog was domesticated, but getting food away from him was not an easy task. You know, they kind of fight for it. Can you imagine these ravens just dropping it there and him? I mean, this is crazy. But after a while, it stops. This is a good gig. But after a while, it stops. And then what does God say to him? In verse eight, then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath. Why? God wants us in the community. God wants us in the community. I just wanna hide out, chill with God, eat food from wild beasts, <laughs> drink from a brook, just chill, just nurture myself, just work on my own spiritual development. I mean, it's a private thing. It's just, let's keep that private. God wants us in the community. Now look at this. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. For I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now, how much more does it make sense a human being feeding you than an animal? Does it make more sense? All right. So all of a sudden, now this makes sense. Of course, and Elijah's like, yeah, of course this makes sense. I wouldn't argue with God on that because a human being will have compassion on another human being, but a wild animal is not gonna give up their food. So this part makes sense. Of course she's gonna do it. Of course there's not gonna be any argument. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So Elijah goes, Elijah does as the Lord said. Why? Because God said, God said he was doing this. He's just following what God is telling him to do. 
And it says, so he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. Now, how does he know she's a widow? We have no clue. Does she have a W monogrammed on her cloak? You know, it's a special hat they wear. I don't know, but he looks and he says, ah, a widow, you know? Somehow he knows. And so he, go, he goes over, he rises, and he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he approaches her and he says, would you please give me a drink of water and a cup? Why? Because God said he had instructed a widow. Makes sense. As she was going to get it, he called out to her and said, hey, bring me a bite of bread too. Why? Because God said, right? He's going off of what God says. But she said, I swear by the Lord, your God, Elijah. Now, let me show you, tell you something. This right here shows how bad of a condition this woman is. She's in bad shape. She's basically saying, I don't believe he's my God anymore. Elijah, he may be your God. He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. But he won't take care of me. Now, we're always wanting to go to minister people who are easily receptive of what we had, but isn't it interesting God chooses the people that sometimes are the most rejecting? Why? Because they're the most desperate. People always ask me in India and Africa and Latin America and China, do they see more miracles because they have more faith than we do here in the West? No, I don't believe that. They have more desperation. Guys, desperation invites kingdom activity. It invites the miraculous, okay? This woman's desperate. And she says, I swear by the Lord, you've got to, I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. What is she saying? I don't have enough. I don't have enough. There's not enough here. She says, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then me and my son, were gonna eat it, and then we'll die. How's that for a life plan? Yeah, me and my son, you know, we only have enough for us to eat, just, you know, the, one of the versions says two little biscuits. We only have enough to make two little biscuits. We were gonna, I was gonna bake that, me and my son, we're gonna eat it, we're gonna find a hole to crawl in, and then we're just gonna die there. I mean, this lady's in bad, bad shape. Now, it's interesting because it's, you know, her response is not, you know, well, hey, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord said to do this. Her response isn't, well, God said, but I don't have enough. She's just like, I don't have enough. Now, listen, and I love Elijah's response. Elijah looks at her and says, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, I must have chosen the wrong widow. God spoke to me that he had instructed a widow to feed me, and clearly you not having enough, you're not the right widow. Would you get your Rolodex of widows in this village and let me look through them? Let me see if I can find the right widow, because God instructed a widow, and I'm sorry, you're clearly not the right widow. Please forgive me. You go ahead and do that thing you were going to do. I'm so sorry. I picked the wrong widow. Is that how Elijah responds? No. Why? Because God said. God said. I love Elijah's response. 
<laughs> this is crazy. I mean, have you ever, if you look at scripture just from the raw form and just going, what if it was like in today's context? It's just, it's mind blowing. So he says this, he basically looks at her and says, let me, let me just paraphrase. He basically looks at her and says, yeah, that, that's a good plan. You go make those two little biscuits you were talking about making. And listen, right when you're done making them, right as you're about to put that biscuit in yours and your son's gaunt, tight cheeks, starving, smelling the delicious bread. Right as you're opening your mouth, about to take a bite of that delicious bread, your last meal, right before you bite it, bring it to me so I can eat it instead. (laughs) Do you see how pastoral Elijah is? (laughs) So compassionate, so caring. Yeah, bring it to me so I can eat it. What, what word comes to mind? Jerk! <laughs> Elijah's acting like a big jerk. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If this lady was from my, if she was a widow in my town in Aurora, Illinois, where I planted my church in the hood, you know what she would do? She would kill Elijah and eat Elijah. <laughs> Elijah would be on a spit in her backyard and she would be going, he was a really good prophet. Mm, A really good prophet. He's gonna go really good with those two little biscuits. She would kill Elijah and eat Elijah. (laughs) You know what the biggest miracle of the story is? She does it. She actually goes and makes these two biscuits and brings them back. Now, I think when she's mixing them, I don't think she's doing it with a good heart. I think she's over there saying, you call yourself a man of God. (laughs) See if the Lord shows you that prophet. (laughs) I mean, come on, these are real people. You know, she actually does it. And then she brings it to Elijah. I can just imagine Elijah go, oh, Oh, this is really good. It would be such a waste for you to die. This is, oh my goodness, you are really a good cook. You know, and her and her son are sitting there watching him going. (laughs) He's eating their biscuits. And he's like, oh, so good. Now, you go and make yourself and your son some too. I imagine she goes, excuse me, what do you not understand about, that was it! You just ate our, our, ate our last meal! You just ate everything we had! We didn't have enough, we told you! What's Elijah doing? Elijah's trusting what God says, not what the woman has or what the woman says. Because God said, I told you we didn't have enough. Don't you see all the flowers? There's another handful of flour. But we poured out all the oil. There's more oil. The Bible says every time that that widow goes back to that barrel of flour, there's always enough. Every time she goes to pour out that oil, there's always enough. There's always enough. 
Every time she goes back. Now here's the thing. We're like, Lord, I'll give it if you fill the barrel. I'll give it if you fill the jug. Do you realize that's not how it works? God says, you give me what you got and I'll multiply it. You give me what you got and I'll multiply. Lord, I don't have enough faith to pray for cancer. I don't have enough faith to pray for people in wheelchairs. Will you just give them what you have in your hand? If we'll just give him what he has in, in our hands, he can multiply it. But God can't multiply it until we give him what we have. So here's the question. Was the provision, the miraculous provision for Elijah or for the widow? She could not get more until she gave what she had. But Lord, I don't have faith to pray for cancer. I barely have faith to pray for boo-boos. I barely have faith to pray for headaches. But will you just give him what you got? See, guys, here's the thing. The circumstances wasn't proving out what God said. But God couldn't adjust the circumstances until somebody obeyed what he says versus than what the circumstances said. How many of us would have been like, I'm sorry, where's other widows? I know I struggle with that. I battle that. Or oh, I'm so sorry, you don't have enough. You know, here, here's two bucks. But will we give him what we've got? Will we provide the Lord with what we, will we let him multiply it? If you'll just reach in the barrel every time. So Monday, you go into work, you're at the water cooler and somebody's like, man, I've got this massive headache. My back is killing me. My knees are sore, my, I'm in so much pain. Maybe you're like, I've never prayed for anybody. But will you reach in the barrel? Will you give him what you got? Just because he says so. Just because he says so. You don't need God to tell you to go pray for somebody who's sick. He already did. In Luke 9 and Luke 10, he said, lay hands on the sick. Go heal the sick. Go heal the sick. Guys, we so many times look in our community and go, God, why don't you change it? And yet the change is in our barrels. The change is in our jars. If we'll just reach in, he'll do the transformation. But he needed us, he needed her to give what he had in order for him to miraculously provide for her. Just reach in the barrel. Some of you need healing today. And you're like, but I don't even have enough for me. But if you'll reach in for somebody else, God will multiply what you've got. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.